1: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, my name is Rob McConnell. This is The Exxon. We're coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Worldwide toll-free, 1-800-610-7035. Email dot com On MSN Messenger, TV at hotmail.com. And our website, com. A couple of uh, things before we get to my special guest this hour, a good friend, uh, Philip Coppins. We do have now the X-Zone 2012 site that is open. We are posting all the newspaper articles that we can find from from around the world at www.XZone2012.com. Plus, we have a new UFO reporting site up at www.XZoneNews.com. Starting in March, the Exxon radio show and Exxon TV show will be broadcast live on Working Star Network. We will be broadcasting simulcast radio and television starting in March. We're totally excited about that, especially when we'll be giving you first-hand reports from our investigation trip down to uh, South America. The uh, Let's see, we're taking 10 days. We're going down to uh, South America. We're going to be checking out not only Mexico but surrounding countries to see what they know or what their legends or what their folklore or their history talk and tell about December the 21st, 2012. My guest this uh, hour exonation, as I said, is Philip Coppins, and we've had the pleasure of having Philip on the show a number of times. It's always great talking to him. He's an author and investigative journalist ranging the world of politics to ancient history and mystery. Now, he co-hosts the Spirit Revolution radio show with his wife, Kathleen McGowan, and is a frequent uh, contributor to Nexus Magazine, a great magazine, I might add at that, and Atlas Rising Magazine, another super magazine. Uh, since 1995, he has lectured extensively and has appeared in a number of television and DVD documentaries, including Ancient Aliens, a series, and that's on the History Channel. He is the author of uh, The Stone Puzzle of Rosalind Chapel, The Canopus uh, Reve- Revelation, and Land of the Gods, The New Pyramid Age, Servants of the Grail, the ebook 2012, Science or Fiction, Killing, uh, Killing Kennedy, and the Ancient Alien Question. And uh, Philip's website is www.philipcoppens.com That's P-H-I-L-I-P-C-O-P-P-E-N-S.com. And Philip, welcome back to the x Thanks for having me on, Rob. It's always great talking to you. Uh, You know, uh, 2012 is a big topic these days. Philip, what is your take on on December the 21st, 2012? Is it the end of the world?
0: It is not the end of the world, but it's definitely an interesting day. Uh, it's, It's obviously a day which has been singled out by the ancient Mayans, and I'm very glad to see that actually portions of the Mexican government are coming to terms with this reality. For a very long period of time, it was as if this was just something mm-hmm. which was going to live within the Mayan heartland and, you know, the New Age community. But it, it really is nice to see that that Mexican Guatemalan governments are beginning to endorse the, the Mayan people. And, you know, my, my viewpoint is precisely that of the Mayans. It was um, you know, it's the Long Count mm-hmm. calendar. It began in three thousand one hundred fourteen, and it got divided into subdivisions of of roughly five hundred years. At each of these points in time, various rituals were performed, quite often in Chichen Itza, and it is the expectation that these same rituals are going to be um, done by Mayan people, um, hopefully in Chichen Itza or elsewhere. And at each moment in time, and this I think is really the something which is very different from what the Mayans believe and what we in the Western world have made the 2012 phenomenon into because the Mayans really believe that at these moments in time, the gods make contact with them and they take stock of the preceding era and then decide together with mankind what should really be the focus um, for the future. And it is said that we live in the fourth sun, which you started in 3,114 BC, and that all of this... 5,000 years Mm -hmm. of which we have been living in was specifically to do with spirituality. I
1: hate to to do this. We've got to take a two-minute commercial break. We'll be right back. My name is Rob McConnell. This is The X-Zone. Philip and I return. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Named one of the world's greatest psychics, Elizabeth Joyce is now giving readings worldwide via Skype. Elizabeth Joyce is recognized for her clairvoyant ability to help find missing persons, her analysis of dreams, past life regression work, mediumship, and her accurate predictions. Elizabeth has been a frequent guest on the Exon radio show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, now for several years. For an appointment with Elizabeth Joyce, call 201-934-8986 or Skype at elizabeth.joyce. And for more information, you can always visit Elizabeth Joyce online at www.new-visions.com. back to the X Zone uh, of course that's Glass Tiger with My Town every time i hear that i think of my friend Sam Reid who is the keyboardist of uh, Glass Tiger speaking of my friends Philip Coppens is with us uh, this hour www.philipcoppens.com and uh, you and i were talking about December the 25th 2012 uh, before we went to the break and um, it, it seems that the Mayan people are are finally regaining the uh, the The notice for the great accomplishments that were stifled, uh, taken away from them for so long, Philip.
0: Absolutely, they are you know quickly regaining control mm-hmm. uh, when we 're looking at the 1980s the mine people were slaughtered yes. two hundred thousand people were killed in Central America um, basically through NAFTA agreements, which you know the United States government basically signed off on and allowed the extremist regimes of central america to to basically commit genocide and it 's something which has really been ill reported in the Western media, obviously because of the fact that the west was was very much involved since that period of time, however, the Mayans really have become more and more prominent. Uh, a Mayan um, leader a woman at that um, actually finished third in the Guatemalan presidential elections, uh, I think roughly twelve to eighteen months ago and and simply, the fact that a Mayan uh, person finished third um, is, is something which a few years ago would have simply been impossible. Um, Things like radio stations, which were at one point created to basically put propaganda out to to destroy the Mayans and and their... um, belief systems have now been overturned and have become radio stations which are airing uh, the, the Mayan point of view. So much is happening and there, there are people who are actually speaking of a Mayan renaissance and And this is something which you know is I think extraordinary to see and it, it is really uh, against this backdrop that I think we need to begin to uh, look at the 2012 phenomenon. For a very long period of time people in the West um, have been using the 2012 phenomenon as if there is not a single descendant of the Mayans alive and there are hundreds of thousands of them living specifically, you know, in parts of Mexico or Guatemala and various other sort of Central American countries, and now they are finally beginning to get a voice. And I hope that um, when it comes to December twenty first, twenty twelve, which is eleven months away, that really we are in a situation whereby we are, you know, looking at at, at events happening uh, within the Mayan heartland whereby the Mayans are featured centrally. And when that happens, uh, you know, there will be no messages of, of doom and gloom, but it will be, uh, I think, quite a spiritual and quite an interesting experience.
1: You no, know, over the many years doing this show, we've talked a lot of times about extraterrestrials, aliens, and, and here it is 20 years later, and, and I was going through my my guest list the other night, and you know what, Philip? Nothing has changed in twenty years when it comes to the extraterrestrial question.
0: Um, I, I think that might be perceived as such and and to, to some extent you're right. Um, the things which have changed are this. I think that right now with the popularity of the ancient alien uh, you know, television series on the History Channel. Um, right now, I'm, I'm taping, together with so many other people, season four. Mm-hmm. Um, it is the History Channel's most highly watched and most highly rated show. Um, it is, to some extent, a, a sensation because at the end of each episode worldwide, approximately uh, 100 million people will have watched an episode of Ancient Aliens. But, but,
1: but no mystery, disrespect meant to you or the great people at mm-hmm. History Channel because over the years I've worked with them as well. But if all these people are watching, and this is season four, how come nobody has come forward yet, Philip, with that all-conclusive proof that aliens are real and just not a figment of the imagination uh, uh, as as gods of the old because people needed something to to relate to in the world that they existed in, how do we know that they're real? Here we are all these years later, no proof.
0: Uh-huh. Well, I mean, this is an issue which I address in, in, in my book, uh, The Ancient Alien Question, and I show that in the last 20 years, uh, the proponents of, of, of ancient alien visitation have progressed to a point that it now really needs to be uh, you know, a cooperative effort with science because some of these things, for example, the dropper. The dropper is the story of how in Tibet um, a spaceship might have crashed thousands of years ago and the descendants might still be out there. They might have interbred with the local population. Well, we know right now that there is a tribe who claims to be descendants of these people. They're still in existence. Um, And basically the situation is this, that an individual like me or you, without government credentials, without access to DNA testing, simply cannot go to China and say, hey, can we get a bit of your DNA for testing? And it's just one example of uh, at least five really promising cases, um, which are very close to proof that we have not been alone. But in each of these cases, it needs the active participation and cooperation of science. And basically, scientists are saying, we know for a Mm -hmm. fact that there is nothing to this. So there is no need to explore this any further. And there is one specific chapter in my book, which I think kind of highlights this more than anything. And it's not necessarily to do with ancient aliens as such, but with the question, where did life on Earth come from? Was it this primordial soup as scientists are saying? Or was life coming from elsewhere in the universe and did it ride on a comet or a meteorite and then crash this idea of panspermia, which so many scientists are proposing themselves? Well, the situation right now, at this very moment in time, is that astrobiologists at NASA are refused publication in peer-reviewed journals when they are finding evidence, proof of the fact that life could not have originated on planet Earth, that life originated elsewhere in the universe. And so what you have is NASA really having to Mm -hmm. do science by press release. What NASA scientists are doing is saying, we have studied this, we have concluded this, Um, various other uh, scientists are in absolute agreement in this, but we cannot publish this in journals of astrobiology because the editors-in-chief there are absolutely refusing to look into this subject matter. Uh, people like Chandra Wikramashingi, who is one of the leaders in this field, um, has called this a conspiracy of silence, and he's been saying that this conspiracy of silence has been uh, in place since roughly 1982, 1984, and, and so... You know, this is precisely 20, 30 Mm -hmm. years whereby science as an institution, academics specifically as an institution, are simply not interested. For them, it doesn't exist. They want to make it go away and they ridicule it. And this is why um, the elusive proof um, is is really um, still escaping people. But – at the same time, it is clear that people, and I think you know, this is kind of like the evidence of, of Ancient Aliens, a TV series, it is that people are becoming aware of this. It is uh, the fact that after you know, being lied to by politicians mm-hmm. and being let down the, a, a dire path by the financial industry, uh, people are waking up to the fact that science quite often is about dogma and not so much about exploration anymore. And so what I think we're going to see in the next 5 to 10, if not 15 years, is this idea That definitely, you know, there are certain things wrong with science and that we're hopefully going to push science into saying, well, we don't care that you're not interested in this. We pay you taxes. We pay your bills. You know, you really need to start looking into this.
1: Let me ask you the question then, Philip. Mm -hmm. If this this information is real and that Mm -hmm. the pseudoscientists are actually on track, what – does the established scientific community have to fear from this truth coming out?
0: It's because it is a a paradigm upsetting idea. Everything, you know, science science at this moment in time fears everything which changes the paradigm. And ancient Egypt is the best example, and I will illustrate it with two examples. One of them is that in the 1980s, the Great Pyramid and the Second Pyramid were subjected to carbon dating. Those carbon dating results showed, A, that the Second Pyramid was older than the Great Pyramid, Mm -hmm. and that both of them were roughly 500 years older than their current dating. Since the 1980s, this scientific report, which isn't controversial at all, nobody contests the conclusions, has not been published in a peer-reviewed journal. As a result of this, thousands of Egyptologists worldwide have not had to consider this piece of evidence, and for the last 20 to 30 years, they have continued to pretend that this doesn't exist. And according to the scientific rules of the game, which they adhere to, they don't have to, because, hey, guess what? It's not published anywhere. And so, nothing has progressed. You know, we know that these pyramids are at least 500 years older, yet everybody is pretending within the scientific community as if it's not. And the duplicity or the two-facedness of of science, I think, comes to uh, the front in in the following example as well, which is that there is king lists. The 30 dynasties of ancient Egypt come from the king list of Menetho. This begins in roughly 3000, or rather The list of of pharaohs begins in 3000 BC, and Egyptologists adhere to this religiously. They say this is correct, this is really the entire chronology of of Egypt which has been based on this. Well, Manetho himself puts a period of 25,000 years before that, and he says that in Origen, uh, Egypt was ruled by the gods gods like Isis, Osiris, and various other beings, that for a period of time, roughly 6,000 years, um, there was a rule of the followers of Horus, kind of demigods, mm-hmm. and that afterwards it was the rule of the pharaohs. So when you go to a scientist and you say, well, you swear by this king list that you know, the, the king list of the pharaohs is completely accurate, so what is your opinion about what else Manito is saying, specifically that the gods once ruled ancient Egypt and this 25,000 years ago, this Say, well clearly Manito invented this because we all know that there are no gods and we all know that there are no followers followers of Horus. And it's something which we let them get away with and they get away with because they really are in charge of the game. If we are to enter this kind of reasoning in a court of law, they couldn't use this. This would Manito's king list would be identified as a piece of evidence and they would have to argue every bit of evidence every part of it and so this kind of like well this is nonsense but this is absolutely true they get away with time and time again and i think um and you know largely to to shows like ancient aliens and so much out there um else which is out there uh, i'm beginning to hope that people are growing up to this and are shortly not going to get allowed.
1: All right. Stand by, Philip. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Philip Coppins is our guest this hour, Exxon Nation, www.philipcoppins.com. My name is Rob McConnell. This is the Exxon. You can always send an email to exxon at Uh, The Exxon, a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 6 a.m. Eastern. Right here on the Talkstar Radio Network, Exome Broadcast Network, and our affiliates worldwide. www.thexzonestore.com. Welcome back, everyone. Philip Coppins is our guest for this hour, www.philipcoppins.com. Philip, I've got a question for you, my friend. We were talking about how science refuses to accept certain things because of the shift of the paradigm that it would create. When we look at the the different religions of the world, that that certainly poses a conundrum to the scientific community, and yet they've allowed the controversy between science and religion to continue they ex- you know they say oh sure you know uh, it's it's possible that the ancient gods in the in the bible were extraterrestrials and you know who knows but they don't seem to mind the religious argument but as you and I well know when it comes to extraterrestrials that's where they draw
0: the line what's the difference well religions are you know very interesting when it comes to to the subject of of extraterrestrials uh, the Vatican, for one, has got a, a chief astronomer who basically says um, you know that he is open to the mm-hmm. idea of extraterrestrial life and um, <laughs> the question seems to be whether Jesus died on the cross for the salvation of original sin, not just on planet Earth but across the galaxy yes. that 's kind of like the Vatican take on it um, when it comes to to science and religion, they have a very weird relationship at this moment in time um, the, the the two in shroud is uh, I think one example whereby uh the Vatican basically seems to endorse bad science to kinda of like try and explain some of uh you know the, the things like the two in shroud away. Uh at other moments in time um scientists will say that basically they have no uh or, or nothing to do um with religion. Now, you know the ancient alien question does touch upon the what I would call the legends, the folkloric material. And sometimes that sits within religion. Uh, in the case of the Bible, when legends and stories like this are written down, um, and you know, they become incorporated into a religious text where people try to get morality from or uh, a religious doctrine from, the two overlap. But there's also things like um, material from Greek mythology whereby really... Uh, At this moment in time, there is no active uh, Greek religion, so there's really nobody touching upon it. But um, at at all times, science is really saying that they don't have to look at the ancient alien question uh, for a variety of reasons. You know, the most... Bombastic approach is is really that they know they they know and they have known for decades that there is no truth to this whatsoever and this is a very um, you know grandiose statement which they like to make not just about the ancient alien question but about so many other things um, on on things like. Um, the near-death experience, they they actually say that it's a hands-off policy. They feel that life after death is not something which science should look at. They feel that this is just a bailiwick of religion. And I completely disagree with this because, um, you know, science should be about the exploration. Mm-hmm. Um, the, if there is life after death, that doesn't, that's not a bailiwick of religion. That is not a bailiwick of uh, belief as such, if we can prove it. And, you know, there are various doctors across the world who are doing medical experiments and other experiments to, to which show um, – that, you know, at the moment of that, something weird happens, that there is um, a part of us which survives and is able to go out of our bodies and see certain things which are happening in an operating room, which we would never be able to see if we were inside our body. Um, and all of these things really um, sketch a very complex um, sometimes stand-off, sometimes uh, harmonious way through through science and religion. And the ancient alien question really is is kind of like, you know, um, on, on that threshold. Sometimes it sits firmly within the borders of science, and sometimes it sits within the borders of religion. And at all times, it, it really is that you know, very few people dare to go there. Um, since I, I wrote the book, the book appeared uh, in November 15, um, but it was finished uh, in, in late May. And in between, there is actually one professor, Paul Davis from Arizona State University, who does stand out. Who is a person who wants to uh, change the paradigm on so many things because uh, he is to some extent, a a very liberal um, scientist. And he is actually proposing that we should start looking into something which he calls astrophorensics, this idea that we have been visited by extraterrestrial beings in the past. Now, he is saying um, that basically, you know, life has been here for 4.5 billion years and that 800 million years ago somebody might have come here um, and that we have no evidence for this. He says that... um, he feels that the best evidence for, um, Visitors from out of space has happened before mankind appeared on the scene, and it is my contention mm-hmm. that the best evidence for visitation is actually since mankind has come on the scene, and this was also an opinion shared by the likes of the late Carl Sagan and, and various others. Um, but you know, the good thing is that that after Carl Sagan died um, more than a decade ago now, almost 20 years ago, actually, um, there is finally somebody else out there from within the scientific community who is trying to get tis debatable and the future will tell how successful he is right now uh, the only success he's had is that he's been able to publish this report within a journal he is the editor of himself and we will see whether over the next few months or years some of his colleagues are going to take him up on the invitation or whether they are going to pretend that it never happened
1: now you also say that i'm just i'm I'm, uh, you know that many proponents of the alien theory claim gods and aliens that there are go- that the gods are aliens and that there is no god. How does this fit in with the with the religious side of the debate?
0: Well I think what happened was this. Um the, the ancient alien subject became extremely popular at the beginning of the nineteen seventies. Sure. And Eric and von Donigen was, was a big one. Absolutely. And it was a it was an approach which was taken, which was this um the Bible is literal, mm-hmm. but it's not about God, it's about extraterrestrial beings, and so it was this weird like you know the fundamentalists are right but they have got it wrong at the same time. And I don't think that's the approach to take. Um, the existence of God with a big G uh, is independent of the existence of gods with small g's. And actually when you start to dig into very detailed material, specifically um, ancient mm-hmm. Egypt and, and some other big civilizations, including the Mayans, um, what you're beginning to see is that the, you know this, this, these beings were declared to be gods because they were superhuman, because they were somehow seen as the assistant uh, or the initiator into God with the big G. They told us about God with the big G. Um, And it is really, I think, a a sign of the times of the early 1970s that um, it it was interpreted in a very materialistic way. I think we should get away from that. Uh, There is... Space enough um and the evidence suggests as such as well um for God with a small G and God with big G to coexist
1: all right taking taking into consideration the um you know the amount of of work that is being done into the ancient aspect of extraterrestrials and and, and you know the the search for the proof and the search for the truth, how much investigation? True investigation is actually being done to prove the present existence of extraterrestrials.
0: Well, from, um, from a kind of government perspective, uh, you know, specifically NASA, actually quite a lot and yet so little. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a, a very long period of time, the search for ET happened through SETI, the search for uh, you know, extraterrestrial intelligence is through radio telescopes and, and various forms of radio astronomy. And, and basically it was trying to find a needle in a haystack and everybody always knew this. But it was somehow felt to be the only approach possible and you know we have seen movies like Contact, we sure. have seen uh, headlines as in the fact that NASA is, is scaling down on this and to some extent people are saying that this is a sad thing, but really this approach has not been fruitful um, instead what NASA has done is they have changed tack, everything which NASA is doing today is new so they have pushed out the Kepler space telescope there and it was, you know, it's, it's 11 months coming up to, to 12 months since it was pushed out and already um, it has gotten back extraordinary research uh, data. It has identified seventy two potential um, planets out there which might be um, home to um, earth like environments and the headlines come in on an almost monthly basis, suggesting that you know we are soon going to be able to find a twin planet to earth um, somewhere out there. Popular mechanics um, sorry popular science in its October issue went with a headline which was basically an index of where NASA and also the Russians uh, and various other nations are in the search for extraterrestrial mm-hmm. intelligence through these new means and basically everybody is convinced of two things. One life is a cosmic imperative in the sense that um, the universe is is created or seeded or you know uh, prepared for life to be pretty much everywhere throughout the universe and as a result of that um, the people the scientists are convinced that they are going to find proof of, of this extraterrestrial life somewhere in the universe within the next 10 to 15, 20 years at most. And, um, you know, judging from the speed at which they're going about doing mm-hmm. these things right now, I would actually say that, um, you know, it might be less than 10 years. But Everything- are they
1: sure, are, are, are the scientists sure they're actually looking for the right type of life? How do we know that life on other planets... Is carbon-based we're looking for carbon-based but what if what if life on other planets are not carbon-based units we could be missing the boat completely
0: well, I mean, the, the big the big change here from within NASA is that they have identified that what they should be looking for is DNA-based life. Um, basically, they have done experiments within interstellar space recreated mm-hmm. in laboratories. Um, the likes of Lou um have basically shown that if you do this, Interstellar space will create the building blocks of DNA. The only thing it then takes is a piece of rock and it'll transport itself throughout the galaxy and This is really something which NASA has been focusing on for the last ten but, years and but, so DNA to them is the key to you know to to everything but and what so, happens Philip huh?
1: what happens once again like we don't know everything to nope. to, to think that our scientists are the know it all and above all of everything is very ludicrous in my opinion they're humans. Huh? How do we know that they're even on the right track?
0: Well, we, because at this moment in time, with the DNA approach of you know, which astrobiology is taking, mm-hmm. um, really so much is being discovered at this moment in time about the origins of life on our own planet, about you know the the fact that DNA. Uh, you know, appears everywhere in in the universe spontaneously. Uh, now, you know, does that mean that DNA is going to be the only kind of life out there in the universe? That's a big question mark, and that might be a century, if not a thousand years, from now before we are going to able to be answering this question. But right now, it's all about finding life out there, and it's about getting the best chances. Um, and the best approach of finding life out there is by the approach which they're taking right now, which is looking for DNA-based life, which means looking for environments where DNA can thrive. But, um, and that is basically where the Kepler telescopes comes in. But, but again, it's just is an encompassing approach. No. But
1: isn't DNA, up until now, only believed to exist in carbon-based units? Absolutely. So, once again, I go back to my argument. What happens if life... Elsewhere in the universe is silicone based. We'll miss at that it
0: mom- uh-huh. we- at that moment in time. Well, I mean, th- this is this is a thing. You know, could there be silicone based life out there in the universe? The answer is yes, and everything is possible. Mm-hmm. But right now, what they have focused on is basically the notion that DNA, um, you know, is is going to exist throughout the galaxy because interstellar space, which is pretty much everything in the galaxy out there, is made up out of, um, you know. DNA, and so, um, for life to be found elsewhere mm-hmm. in the universe, the biggest chances of that being found out is through um, you know looking for the conditions through where dna-based life is going to be at at the same time um what is also happening is that there's a radical reinterpretation Mm -hmm. of of mars material um even the people like gilbert Levin, who in 1976 uh said that the viking space probe you know didn't identify evidence of life uh on mars he has now actually said that he has revisited this data from 1976 and he is now quite convinced that actually he was wrong by saying that there was no life on mars and so um all of a sudden Mars as another harbor of water, another harbor of um, life is, is once again coming into the scope of NASA and, you know, again, um, NASA, you know, even though NASA obviously is, is filled with scientists, they are working in a completely different atmosphere uh, from so much elsewhere um, of, of science. And, and I think, you know, as much um, dislike we quite often heap upon NASA or, or the governments, what is really happening with NASA at this moment in time um, is really interesting and, and really um, progressive.
1: But once again, all I'm saying, Philip, is that we may be looking totally in the wrong direction because what we're doing is we're basing everything that we're looking for in the universe on what we know. We're looking at DNA. We're looking for DNA that matches our DNA. This is where SETI went wrong because they're looking for signals that we recognize. They weren't looking for signals that were not recognizable.
0: And I think you know the, the, the thing is right now that what – I think the difference between the SETI search is this. With SETI, we had mm-hmm. no idea what we were looking for. We thought we knew that we w- were looking for certain things, but in retrospect, we had no idea – to distinguish a pulsar signal from an intelligent life signal. And there were a number of occasions whereby the two, um, you know, were mistaken for each other, and they didn't go anywhere. Right now, what we know is that we know where to look for signs of DNA. And if we find signs of DNA elsewhere, uh, you know, if we find conditions... All right, Philip, we've got to take a
1: commercial break, but like I was saying, we may be wrong because what we're looking for is something that we believe is out there. It may not be out there. We'll be back on the other side of this commercial break as the Exxon continues right here from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. My name is Rob McConnell. Philip Coppins is our guest. Both books are available at all usual sources. There's a wealth of totally free information posted at whentechfails.com and author signed copies may be purchased at mattstein.com. That's www.wentechfails.com and wwwm www.thexzone.store.com Rob McConnell here presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jennicks, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologist Your Philip Coffins is our special guest, and Philip, it's always such a great pleasure talking to you. Uh, Philip's website is www.philipcoffins.com. Now, Philip, your research has uh, actually uncovered an extraterrestrial connection in the form of direct archaeological evidence to the 2012 phenomenon.
0: Well, yes. I mean, because basically what happens in 2012 is this. The only thing which we know from an archaeological point of view is that there are two inscriptions, Tortuguero and a recent one, which was uh, revealed in, in October, a brick mm-hmm. from another complex in uh, the Main heartland, which basically says that on December 21st, 2012, it, the bolognuk the so-called nine gods, will return. And... Clearly, this is something which, when you start looking at the anthropological evidence um, of of the Mayans, it's something that they were absolutely convinced of. They um, there are even records, for example, that in uh, 1615 or 1620, that period when um, a, a cycle of time ended for the Mayans, um, they they basically went to these the headquarters of the Spanish conquistadores mm-hmm. in Merida and said that they were going to do ceremonies um, in Chichen Itza to, to make contact with these nine gods. And so whether you know, this is a physical return of, of an extraterrestrial deity or whether it is more a, what I would call a spiritual contact um, with a deity, to, to some extent that is secondary. What uh, the Mayans are absolutely convinced about is that – 2012 is all about making contact with these non-human intelligences. Hypothetically,
1: December 21st, 2012 comes and goes. December 23rd, 2012 comes and goes. Nothing. Nothing changes. What happens? Uh-huh. What happens to those people within the pseudosciences who have been talking about the? The, the 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 changes that the galactic alignment are going to bring the return of the gods as you know talked about by the mayans how how much of a damage and what kind of damage control will there be needed before anybody takes ufology or any pseudoscience seriously in the future
0: well you, you know to to a large extent it's it's not that it's not that bad. Um, the, the industry of, of YK2 mm-hmm. recovered you know, very quickly from from the, the non-existence of the YK2 book. Um, but, you know, I, I think the central message is this. We, we are focusing way too much on, on December 21st as such. The minds themselves have always said that the period 20 years before and 20 years after mm-hmm. are very interesting times to live in. And let's go back to the world of 1993 and see All right, how we've got changed. we've
1: We've got 30 seconds.
0: So, you know, look at the world of, of 1993 and see how much has changed. And I think, you know, the prophecy of the minds mm-hmm. that we live in interesting times um, are absolutely true. We have become a global village. And I think that is really the message of 2012. Um, you know, we are a global village. Whoa, that kind of came on loud.
1: I'll, Philip, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Always a great pleasure. We'll have to have you back on in the near future to uh, continue this very interesting conversation. Next Nation, Philip Coppins has been my guest this hour www.philipcoppins.com. I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break with the news at six and a half minutes past the hour as the exome continues with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from where? Right here, studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'll be back on the other side. Don't go away.